Lewis Good Internet. It's the Harvest the Colin Atrophy, and I'm very happy to welcome you to episode number 37 of Life Harvester Radio. Uh, first episode of the new decade. Mazel tov to me. I like this one a lot. The guest is um, my friend Christina from Pittsburgh. She sings in the band Peace Talks, uh, a band I saw before I ever met Christina, and she is such a wildly good performer and also just like a wonderful friend and I'm really glad to know her and also that I got to talk to her on the radio because A, uh, her life has been pretty eventful up until now and she is really forthcoming about it and B, I find her performance uh, style super compelling and I learned some pretty interesting things that I didn't expect about um, witchcraft practice and how she views performance as ritual Uh, in the course of this conversation that I think explain a lot of the energy that she brings to the stage. And I think that's cool. I like to hear that stuff. Um, She's super funny and has a bunch of really great stories. And sadly, I had to cut like half an hour of her talking about meeting famous punks and ridiculous stuff that happened because of time. So I'm going to release it, I think, as just a standalone bonus feature like uh, later in the month for anyone that's interested. So... If you like this, get ready to hear about Jerry Only, Marky Ramone, Henry Rollins, you know, all kinds of uh, bad and good ones. Okay, listen, let's go. Enjoy. There's some younger kids these days, but even then, I'm like, they're 28, so mm-hmm. I think they're young, and that's not... <laughs> no, that's not young. I thought I was so old when I was 28. Oh, I was so old when I was 28. I know. There's when I like, was 23, I was old. When I was 23, I felt mature, but I knew, like, I, I felt like I had a lot of experience, but I knew I, like, reveled in being young. Yeah. I was like, I'm young. I'm, I'm in my 20s. <laughs> See, I never felt that. I feel that now, which is really oh, weird. Yeah. I had like the reverse. For some reason in my 20s, I felt like way more like burdened by the... Everything felt so chaotic around me that I felt like I had to really keep it together because shit would fall apart. Now I'm like, I practiced. It's not going to fall apart. I think I can try, <laughs> like, try more things or yeah. something, which is a strange like a um, Like an emotional Benjamin Button? Yeah. Totally, like, uh, because then whenever I was younger, I mean, even now still, but almost to a lesser extent, I was everybody's mom. Sure. And there were, like, a lot of younger kids or people that were my age or older, but they were, like, I had been living on my own since I was 14. So I was, like, used to sort of, like, shit can go wrong, and I'd keep my head about my, I was straight yeah. edge until I was 21. Do you want to back up and start talking about that? Yeah. yeah. So like what, um, where did you grow up? I grew up here. Um, my uh, first home was in Aspenwall. Okay. And my mom came from Poland and my dad grew up in Polish Hill. And then my, when my mom moved here from Poland, she moved to Lawrenceville. And she actually brought... Her first husband is the guy who owns Belvedere's, this guy Alfred. <laughs> Whoa. So she brought Alfred here from Poland. Okay. Um, and had like a son with him who's like my half brother, which we mutually agree we don't want to know each other. <laughs> oh, that's nice to have yeah. that kind of mutuality. Totally. It's really cool. We're like, that's great. We don't need to go there. Like, cool. Yeah. <laughs> we can keep that. But yeah, so I grew up in Aspenwall and I went to. Um, Catholic school and that's how I got into punk was that like well my I had uncles that were into Kiss and Motorhead and they played in a band this is really like shitty glam band called um, City Child (laughs) which like they wore like bandanas and fog machines and this whole thing and they were like really that was like my glam Kiss uncle and then I had a rocker really rocker Kiss uncle who liked Motorhead and but he's also a magician. It's <laughs> Can't win. Haber magic if you wanna ever look that up. It's worth it's a treat. It's a... okay. Yeah. 
but they were always into heavy music. Yeah. And they would practice and play in the garage at my grandma's house. And I grew up seeing bands playing and like always like, so I kind of like was used to like gear being around and amps and guitars mm-hmm. and all this stuff was just always around. And they knew I liked it and had more of an interest in it than my brother did. Yeah. Um, they still didn't really let me, they were not that cool that they'd be like, let's come in we'll teach you how to play or we'll like you can be a part of this but they're like oh cool you you like this that's here's some music or whatever sure um yeah i was gonna ask if it was only men you saw playing music yeah as a kid absolutely and my dad was really really about well they all were they used to say this really gross thing that which now i like flowers or whatever but they were like i forget what they would say boys were but they were like girl boys are this and girls are flowers and I just didn't relate to that. Yeah. I relate more to flowers now because I don't have such a like thing about it. Yeah, flowers are cool. Flowers are totally cool. But then it had carried like this like weight of like you don't this isn't for you. This is like right. yeah. big black metal boxes that are loud and that's not your concern. Right. One of my uncles, my uncle Steve, who's the magician, he eventually bought me a guitar when I was older. because um, I just never laid off. I was always into music. Yeah. Um, which was really cool, but like everything that my, everything that I ever got that was like that, like I had a skateboard and a guitar whenever I was young, but my dad would just take it, stash it, hide it, destroy it, whatever. He was like, he didn't want you. Nah. Like super, like we were very not rich, (laughs) but we were, but my dad was obsessed with playing like he was. Mm -hmm. So he had this like elaborate game of fake it till you make it going on okay she faked it until the day he died and kind of like never made it ne- he never made it but he dug himself into such a crazy financial hole that he lived beyond his means his uh-huh. whole life and then left everyone else with like this shit disaster Fuck. um but he <laughs> he got to fake being like english aristocracy if he could like really choose if he was like comfortable with choosing his like he would be an old English grandma. That's like who he was. He was about Whoa. manners and teacups and like this whole okay thing. Yeah. So skateboards and guitars for a daughter. For the daughter, especially in like maybe for the son, that's like right a a boy's fancy that he'll grow out of or whatever. But for right. the daughter, it's unacceptable. Yeah. Absolutely not. And so I was really into this stuff. Yeah always and um like i would ride my brother's like green and black mountain bike instead of the pink and white and purple one which like it just sure yeah you know but that was like constantly in trouble for playing with like what was considered like boy stuff or yeah um and then my aunt had an uncle or my aunt had a husband and he was into alternative music so my other uncles were into rock yeah this other uncle was into like Jane's Addiction and Flaming Lips. Yeah. Dabbled with the Sex Pistols and like Black Flag and, you know, stuff like that. So I heard that stuff really early on and I loved it. And he, we yeah. would watch like 120 minutes on oh, TV. Oh, yeah. Crucial. Totally. Cru- and, um, yeah. We're the same age, right? 80, we're exactly 83? the same. 84, but I was the first day of 84. Mm, the first day of 84? Yeah, January 1st, 1984. <laughs> Whoa, New Year's Day is your birthday? Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. What a punk birthday. Yeah, of 1984. Yeah, no, I know. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> the first day of 1984. Wow. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, but so we're roughly, I'm like almost exactly one year older than you then because I'm February 4th, 83. Oh, but, sure. um, but I mean, that's like, right. it's negligible at this point. Um. But I feel like we have a lot of probably the same cultural touchstones, right? Like, yes. Um, like 120. Like I remember watching like, I think like a Lemonheads video even and being yeah. like, what is going on here? Yeah, you know, what? like this is so cool. Like what is this? And like obviously other stuff, I had already seen what Nirvana was because right. when I was 10 because Kurt yeah. Cobain died when we were 10. Yeah. Um, but then when I was like older and had an ability to comprehend, yeah, like stuff like the Flaming Lips and Jane's Addiction seemed so fucking cool. Yeah, and so bizarre and like, to- oh, it would freak my dad the fuck out to see me watching something where like 
men were wearing nail polish and lipstick or whatever and like he just and like I'd always have to change it because it was really serious my dad wasn't fucking around you didn't, yeah. you didn't even play with like um, pushing pushing it with him some kids I think could like you know dabble and like mess with their parents to like yeah, freak them buttons. out yeah my dad was like extremely heavy handed and it was like sneaking I was always like you know like finger on the button of the remote to change the channel right, <laughs> like ready. if there was anything um like that going on so I could watch it if my uncles were watching it he would come in and have a fit but like they would always be like ah you yeah. know chill out this, yeah sure whatever. But yeah, so yeah, seeing things like suicidal tendencies, uh-huh. if you were lucky, you would catch something like that. Or uh, House of Pain was oh, like yeah. going on during that time. That was like children's music. My brother and I would, <laughs> would jump around. Like, this yeah. is so ridiculous. We used to... I remember getting so hyped to that song and just like literally just jumping. Yeah, totally. Like, ah! I'm <laughs> jumping! <laughs> You're really jumping the song around, says jump and I'm jumping. Yeah. And it looked kind of dark, even though it wasn't like heavy metal or anything but it kind of looks scary anything that yeah. sort of was like you know not uh safe or something like i just yeah. drew it just sucked me right in i was like this is something outside of because I, I was maybe i'm figuring out about myself that i'm so about like strange escapism type of things but mm-hmm. like i was like oh i don't like i don't want to be like a part of whatever weird life that I have so it looks super different I was reading all the time like whenever I was a kid I was reading like Stephen King and stuff like well beyond like where I was supposed to be at in school sure, yeah. and um, just like constantly devouring books so I didn't have to be in like my real family life or like you yeah. know I just anything to sort of like be a legitimate distraction from reality yeah, for sure um, but music was like that. I would read all the lyrics. Like, yeah. When I first, when I got, when I was 12, I think I was 12, I was on a school trip to Boston and I got a Subhumans Day of the Country Died CD from uh, National Record Mart. <laughs> like, I got it because I got that and I got Legacy of Brutality and Static Age. And brought them home on the bus from the field trip and I memorized every word before I ever heard it even. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I just remember like going through that and being like, oh. Did you know about those bands already or nope. did you were you just like, these look cool? Yeah. I knew about Misfits from, oh wait, I did, you know what, I have one really cool female influence that I got to give major credit to. I knew about um, Misfits and Danzig and Venom from my Aunt Catherine. She was really cool. She she married the, one of the Kiss uncles. Okay. And he was super shitty, but she was awesome. And she was like a real metal chick. And she looked like a tool video. She was like skeletonly skinny. And like Whoa. she had this genetic disorder that I'm not sure what it was, but it made her walk like a tool video. And like she had like this long natural red hair that was like thick like horse hair. <sighs> and she was like obsessed with heavy metal she had a, a metal radio show in allentown pa bethlehem no fucking way yeah whoa and she would do this metal show and that's how she met her next husband was he was a prisoner and he loved her show and uh he was a big fan of and she muscle tough and um but she was cool and she got me into like uh we'd always watch beavis and butthead together yeah and hell like yeah. she'd sneak me into her room and show me venom records and i was like what is this? I have to get into it. If it was anything but like metal and Venom in particular, I, I don't know that I would ask this, but was she playing them for you or literally just showing you the record? Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, she'd play them too. Okay. Because be... I could see like, I yeah. could see a situation where she's just like, look at this. Yeah. Look at this fucking crazy demon. Yeah. Well, that's how it started. And yeah. then whenever like we would, we would seriously sneak time alone. So she'd be like, come here, I'm going to show you something. And she'd show me all these records. And I was like, wow like blowing my mind and then whenever we got time to like go for a drive because she'd be like i'll take christine into the store with me or whatever and then she'd go and like be blasting venom and danzig and i was like wow holy shit and she she's actually how i found it i found out about osirotten for the first time was because she knew them and she had like a crusty niece who lived in florida that knew them so whenever i was a kid before i would even have seen them 
Yeah. She was like, they're from Pittsburgh. You have to get into it. Yeah, get into this band that's from where you live. Yeah. Oh, whoa. And then who know a million years later, I'm that into the shit that I'm now they're like my friends. Yeah. Lifelong. <laughs> yeah, that's how I mean, that's like the blessing and the curse of punk, right? Is yes. that like it's obs- you decide accessible. you like something when you're 14 or whatever. And then like the next thing you know, you're like pushing 40 and friends with all these people that are in their nearing 60 or whatever that you're just like or you know Osrotten's not nearing 60 but you know right but they're um, you know a good 15 years older than you or whatever and you're just like how did we all get here and it's cool it's really cool and you never think when you're like 12 that or like I drive subhumans on tour now right like if you were told 12 year old buying that day the country died that you were gonna be yeah 36 driving subhumans or 35 driving subhumans on tour it feels sure like would have been stoked. Strange magical wormhole or something where yeah. like you touched it, you want it, and you manifest it. And I don't know if it's that simple or if it's way less magical than that, but it feels like that to me. I think for some people it is that simple. Like I think when I was like 12, 13, 14 or whatever getting into punk, I was like I want this. And like the adulthood that I have is not the adulthood I imagined when I was 12. When I was 12, I thought I was going to have, like, creepers on and be living on St. Mark's Place or whatever. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Like, and in wearing, like, um, like, like velvet leopard print pants or whatever. Because I thought, like, what you do is you be punk till you're in your mid-30s and then you look like you're in the cramps. And those are, like, the only two options. Right. But I was a fucking adolescent. Right. But, like, you know, what, I, what that, what part of what is consistent in between that perception of myself as a, child and the perception and that my actual life that I have is that like I found this thing and was like I want this and I don't know if this was your experience but for me it feels like part of being punk is like um suffering through stuff that's like a lot of stuff that sucks yes where like I like I went to ABC No Rio for the first time you know as like a 14 year old maybe mm-hmm. and it's it sucks there. Yeah, right. Like, it's awkward there. And it's just like back then it was like a bunch of like other 13, 14 to 17 year olds all on drugs and like super wasted. And it was real clickish, And like the dynamics were not, like the social dynamics were weird. Yes. And, and I, and it was unpleasant. And I think I did not have a good time the first 10 times I went. But I kept going back because some part of me was like, I want, this is what I want. Right. I want to not feel uncomfortable here. So I'm going to keep going until I, like, I think there's people that aren't like us that would be like, go to no, think punk might be cool. And then go to no Rio once and be like, it sucks here and never do that again. Right. Um, but there's something that I super relate to that. When I first was going to shows here, super clickish. Yeah. Like uh, the people that were my age or like into... Like, the first scenes that I was going to were, like, you know, seeing Osrotten ca- Casualties and Verrukers or whatever these sure. shows. They were kind of, like, big and they were street punk. And the kids were eating fucking McDonald's and I couldn't believe it. And they were, like, decked out. And, like, they obviously, like, I, I kind of always, like, resented this fashion punkness. Because I think I just was an anarcho-crusty from the beginning. I didn't know that's what I was. But I was just, like, how are they... This just seems so antithetical to everything. And I was like really philosophical about it whenever I was really young. And they were mean as fuck to me. Like I had the same dead Kennedy shirt on as this one kid and he spit in my face. And how old were you? I was 14, I think, when that happened. Were you already living on your own at this point? Yeah, I'd already. What's that situation? um, So whenever I was in sixth grade, I moved from Aspenwall, my dad bought this five acres in the country. And so he moved us from the city to the country. And like everything we did were like, we lived in Aspenwall, but our whole life was like, we went to St. Stan's in the strip. We like went, everything was in the city. Yeah. My mom would hitchhike with us like when we were kids, like, to go over the Highland Park Bridge or whatever. She was crazy old yeah. Pollock. And um, when we moved to the country, things got really dark because there was no escape. Because at least when we lived 
in a neighborhood, my dad was really heavy-handed and abusive. And sure. like, um, but there was ways to get space from him. But then we moved to the country, and it was very like, it. All right, this is a weird way to put it, but it was like very like The Shining or something. Sure. No, no, that's not that weird at all. And I strangely always got compared to Shelley Duvall in that, anyways, because I look weirdly like. Even as a kid, I would be like, oh, God, that's what I look like. But it was like The Shining. You go out there and you are trapped with this person who's like projecting like their own shit yeah. um, in this really frightening way. Yeah, for sure. And um, I always did really well in school and I started to like uh, get stomach problems. I had anxiety problems. I didn't know it was anxiety and I didn't right. know yeah. all these things. And um I didn't know they were stress related, but I was like, I became like a wreck. And, um, sure. I, the kids in school were really, <laughs> whatever, the typical shit, totally cruel to me. I got forest gumped on the bus all the time. Like the first day of school, my brother and I went to get on the bus and we were the last kids to get picked up. And, um, the, all the other kids took up all the seats on the bus and they're like, can't sit here basically like and we had to sit on the floor of the bus Jesus and um it was really fucked up because like I wanted to protect my brother and make him not do that and I was like humiliated but I wanted to fight people but right I mainly was like protective over that happening to him yeah um and then at school like I just was like very isolated and then I became friends with a few of the weirdos but um I did not it was a very rough transition when we moved. So um, you were still getting bused from the country to St. Stan's? No, so we were that then we were going you to moved a school to a different out there. School out there. Okay. And we were not country kids. Yeah. They assumed because we were from the city we were like rich or we were di- we were just different yeah. than them. And um and a lot of them were like there was a big class divide at that school too. So there were like rich kids who were even if they weren't any kind of real, actually crazy wealthy, the poverty there was so bleak. Sure. That if you weren't completely, you know, um, in destitute, like kind of third world conditions, you were someone that was yeah. a threat or like a fuck you. And, um, but then we weren't rich kids either, so we didn't fit in with <laughs> any of the other kids. Yeah. So my brother and I had this, he did better because he was younger. So he got in like before kids had really established the hierarchy so brutally. Mm-hmm. But when I got in there, it was um, really rough. So I was doing these, I kind of didn't know how much mental and emotional trauma I was going through because I just got used to it. Yeah, also you were 14. Mm-hmm. And at some point it got so bad with my dad that I was like, I'm, I'm either going to kill myself or I'm going to get the fuck out of here. Uh-huh. And that's it. And I just left one day. Like, um, I had met this dude at a show. At, I met him at Brave New World, um, which was like the record shop then. Mm-hmm. And he was this punk from Ohio, and he was like 23. And um, th- at this point, I was 12. And it was real sketchy and weird, but you don't think about how bad it... Because like, when you're punk, you think everyone's a punk, so you're yeah, all also, kind of... When you're 12, you're not thinking about that stuff. At all. No. And so by the time I met him... No, I guess I wasn't 12 when I met him. I must have been 13, and then by the time I was 14, I... He, like, convinced me to, like... Well, I was like, I'm getting the fuck out of here, and I need to do something. He's like, well, you can come... Why don't you come live at this squat with me in Athens, Ohio? So. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> I went with this dude and um, he lived in this crazy squat behind an abandoned Kmart. And like. Was it just him? No, there were other punks there, luckily. Yeah. Because like, of course, things went awry between he and I because I didn't understand like this older dude is going to like expect something from you or take advantage of you or whatever. Yeah. And, um, but the other people they lived with were really cool and they were kind of like, what the fuck are you doing with this kid or whatever? Yeah. You brought this child into our house. Like she's a child. 
Yeah. Um, but they were really nice to me. They didn't make it like... Yeah, no, that's it, not about... I mean, if they're good people, it's not your fault that you're a child. Right. But it is the fault of the 24-year-old that brought a 14-year-old into the house. Yeah. They were um, like, this For, is... like, presumably nefarious reasons. Right. And, like, I was like, what? Like, what? why is this weird? Like, because you think when you're... Right. Kid, especially if you're kind of, like, a smart kid or someone that's always been on their own, you think you know what's going on. You don't know that you're a fucking kid. Right. So in my head, I was, like, a consenting adult fuck no I wasn't right. you know but yeah. you don't know that until you have like perspective when you're older and um so the other kids would like you know make me hang out with them all the time they would, like play beer bottle golf and stuff off the roof just smashing bottles with golf clubs is what we do yeah yeah and watch sure. the young ones so they got me into like all this other yeah like stuff that was like really cool I actually learned so much about punk during that time and it was really good but also really dark which I guess that's a lot of people's punk experiences or whatever yeah um, I think that's like um, a different kind of really good but really dark than many people have though yeah totally yeah and um, eventually so oh and so like while I was living with him I had to work like we had to do like suddenly it's like oh shit you like right what, how do you eat? Like, I don't know. So I um, got a job working on making haunted houses with him and a bunch of other punks. And so we would make haunted house props. And it was really cool. And they would like, it was called like this, what, I forget what it was called. I wish I could remember the name of the place. But it was a big warehouse. And they'd be like, make these rags bloody. And make grandma's face look like there's pus all over it was like, it under the table or did they did they not know it was under the table so for they, me they didn't know did they know you were 14 yeah oh fuck yeah the warehouse people knew yeah, you were 14 definitely oh yeah <laughs> yeah this was some ohio shit yeah like, ohio's a bleak place yeah oh yeah people were like i definitely got the like look that i could recognize like and i was like i'm not sure what that look means but they see something is weird about me being here but they were like all right. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, what's gonna do? Because it was all like um, seasonal work. Mm -hmm. So they kind of just hired you for whatever, and they pay you yeah. under the table, and you work that day, and they'd be like, "You got to go to Wyandotte Lake and help set up this park or, or this, you know, haunted house, or you stay in the warehouse all day, and like your job is to like rip up jeans for <laughs> fucking Fuck. Freddy Kruegers or whatever." Wow. Um. So I did that. And then um, hung out and had a real crash course in like squatting and punks and drinking. And I was like straight edge then. I didn't know I was straight edge, but I was like, I can't get fucked up because if something happens, I can't be. I was scared to be out of that out of control. You knew that then that you were like, mm -hmm. I don't want to be. I don't want to lose control like this. Yes, I was like, I am in precarious situation, and I need to know. I had drank before. I spent a summer in Germany because I have relatives in Poland and Germany mm -hmm. and my relatives got me fucked up. My dad took me to Germany and left. I don't know what he did, but he left me with my old uncle and sure. I didn't speak German and he didn't speak English. So we'd do shots of Kirschwasser and we became great friends. Sure. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. So I knew what being drunk was like and I it was like, I can't be fucked up. Right. Cause I'm, I knew I was in danger, but I kind of didn't want to admit it. I was like, I knew you're out yeah. of your element, Donnie. <laughs> Sure, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, so, Did you have any contact with your family of origin at this point? No. I wouldn't talk to them. And they how, didn't know where I was. How long did you stay in Ohio? Oh, it must have been close to a year. Okay. Um, and then Nathan Mold, who does tattooing, and like he's at uh, White Willow. Okay, I don't think I know Nathan. He was my first boyfriend sort of like before this weird guy who wasn't really my boyfriend, but definitely whatever. It's kind of bad, complicated shit. So Nathan and I were best friends, really close, and he was like my young boyfriend. He was we were like two of the only punks in our in the country. So we met each other at this carnival. Right. I was like, that kid with the mohawk so is my also boyfriend. <laughs> an, an, a teen though. A teen. Right. Not yeah. like uh, a a thirty year old. No. He's my right. age. Yeah. Um, and we had like a regular type of little kid yeah. thing. Very cute. And we still talked. I talked to him while I was living in Ohio. Okay. Um, 
And he was, he eventually convinced his parents, who his dad was a pastor, he convinced them to let me move in with them. Okay. So, and they were super cool, hippie, like, philosophical, theologian type of spiritual people. And they kind of were like, we can't be big, that big of hypocrites to not help her or whatever. Right. (laughs) They were like, this, we have to do this. So eventually what happened was the dude that I was living with out there, he, we were at a party and he was driving me back to where, to the squat. And he was like blackout drunk and got pulled over by the cops. And he went to jail and the cops were kind of like, how the fuck old are you? What the fuck? And his dad came to bail him out. And this is some Ohio shit too. They were like, hey, deal with this kid. And then his dad was like, uh, what? <laughs> and after that is when I moved in with Nathan and his parents. Yeah. Because it got rude. Did they like put you on a bus? Would you? They came and got me from Ohio, actually, from, from that dude's dad's house. Whoa. Yeah. It, it got weird. It got yeah. Weird. <laughs> that's so fucked. Yeah. It was real strange. And so then I lived with Nathan and his two brothers and his parents all through the rest of high school. Mm-hmm. And um, and you finished high school out in the country? Yep. Okay. And he went to a different school than I did. But like my school knew that my dad was like, it was, I think it was very obvious to the outside world that my dad was abusive. Um, yeah. Because if I was like sick and like not obviously like not sleeping and like my grades were just shitting, even though they knew like, right. you know, I tested really highly, but I couldn't do work. I couldn't think. I couldn't yeah. focus or deal. So the guidance counselor at my school, along with like this other teacher that was fucking awesome to me, they worked it out that I could live out of the district and still go to school there. Mm, okay. Because they were like, it's going to be legal problems and it's going to force her to deal with her dad who's causing all this shit and we don't want her to go back there. Right. So if her, cause my dad wasn't even looking for me. He was kind of like, whatever. Bye. Bye. So they were like, if we can keep her out of contact with him and out of the courts. That would be better. Yeah. That would wow. Be better. That's really good. They were really cool about it. Yeah. That's fantastic. So I went to school there still. Um, and then Nathan and I worked at, we would go, Eventually, we would go half day to school and go on work release, and we worked at a textile mill. It was a, it was a sweatshop, like it was actually like old ladies sewing their fingers to garments. <laughs> like, this old woman Grace that I would work with, I would have to cut her out of the machines like all day. She'd be like, "Christina, honey, can you come help me?" Like all casual, because she couldn't feel her fingers anymore, and she'd sewn herself. And so she'd be stuck to the machine and to the yeah. pillow sham or whatever she was sewing. Oh. So I'd bring out the you know seam ripper and cut her out of the machine. <laughs> I'm like getting a shiver just thinking about that. Oh my god! And uh, we worked there for years. Um, wow. Eventually, they moved me from sewing, which was like all the old ladies, to the cutting department because the cutting department was like rock and roll people, and they were like, "Oh, we gotta have her." <laughs> so they brought me. Okay. To the cutting department and like kind of made me the manager at like 16. And they were like, you're in charge of the office and you Jesus, do all this shit back here. And we'd listen to Alice Cooper. That's where I first really got into Alice Cooper was in the cutting department of the sweatshop. Because <laughs> I would hear 18 yeah. and be like, fuck, this is so heavy. This is so raw. This is so... What is this? And it yeah. felt different than everything else. Like, yeah, you know, Boston and all the other shit that would be on DVE. Was that like the classic rock that station? That was a classic yeah. rock station. And then you would hear like Alice Cooper. Um, I don't think the Stooges were ever on there, but maybe like Iggy Pop or something. I'm trying to think of like what else. Like, yeah. But like I got really into Alice Cooper. Oh, Joan Jett and uh, Joan ACDC cool. and trying to think like heart whatever i would hear certain things i was like that shit's heavy i like heart (laughs) heart rules it's so good yeah 
you're so lucky if you catch barracuda on anything. <laughs> like, oh my god, that riff on barracuda, it's it's unfuckwithable. Yeah, Magic Man. Magic Man. Oh. What a band. Um, I um, an embarrassing fact about me is that I um, told everyone that would listen when I was like 16 that I didn't like the Stooges because they were too psychedelic. Whoa! I don't like hippie shit. Yes, dude. <laughs> That's uh, how you know it's good because then you're gonna come back and be like. I know. I learned. I had to learn later on that I do like hippie shit and that the Stooges are not hippie shit. That they're like raw and like. Yeah, the opposite. Fucking. Well, I didn't like the damned because I was jealous of a girl who was stealing my boyfriend. So that's <laughs> fair. There's a lot of reasons to dislike stuff that have nothing to do with this stuff itself. For years. Yeah. And like, oh, that was one of the greatest mistakes of my life. I'll never be so jealous that I don't like a band that I ruin a punk experience mm-hmm. for myself. I fucking love the damned. Yeah, don't do that again. No, that was a bad, bad move. Yeah. Um, so. You go from 14 in the squat to 16 in the sweatshop. Yeah. And then you're still you're still out in the country? Yeah. When did you move to the city? As soon as I turned 18. Okay. Like, basically, like, Nathan and I started going to... we Even then, once we could drive, we'd go to the city every single day. And we had friends here. How far from the city were you when you talk about the country? Because the, the lines are not as... It's a blurrier line than in, like, New York, for instance. Right. I would say, like, if you drove like a normal person, it would be about an hour. Okay. But I drove, like, 90 listening to GBH. Yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> and it was, like, because I'd get done with working at 6, and I would, like, get in the car and fucking putting, like, you know, be listening yeah. to Gimme Fire or whatever, like, half an hour, I'd be in the city chilling at the wall, like, mm-hmm. eating O-Fries and, like, trying to like yeah just be a part of that because everything I did I wanted to be like I knew that's where I had to be and I was trying to get the fuck out of the country yeah back to the city and like try to make it work but we were like weirdly brutally bullied by like street punk people and then like um like gutter punks that lived on the street no like like um, like fashion mohawk fashion punks okay yeah totally no we Nathan and I sort of made friends with the gutter punk type of kids and... Yeah, like you knew Asher, right? Oh, yeah, of course. Like for a long, long time. Yes. Asher was... I had Asher on the radio show. Oh, that's so cool. He was, I think, two episodes back. Wow. It was really good, yeah. Oh, I got to listen to that. Yeah. Asher rules. Ah, what an angel. Yes. Bad Bunny. We love Bad Bunny. We're going (laughs) to... You got to... Yeah, everyone loves Bad... Did you see the picture of him wearing the... Like the full germs outfit? No. It says what we do is secret on it somewhere That's or so something. Sick. It's so fucking cool. <laughs> that I need a poster of that. <laughs> yeah, Bad Bunny. Bad Bunny is great. Bad Bunny is fucking awesome. When did you start playing in bands yourself? When I I it was like later. Well, I played in a band in high school that never did anything. It was like fucked up. It was cool. so Oh god. I don't even know if we had a name. Um I wrote way too many words just like I do now. Yeah. It's nice. I like it. <laughs> I write like too much. Yeah, it's good. And um, so I played in a band in high school and then nothing for a while, but I booked shows. I was always booking at like a show space called 1877. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was doing things like on that end. Yeah. And then I think I must have been 22 or 23 mm-hmm. when I had my first band and it was called Red Fox. And it was me uh, two brothers, Mike and Dave, and um, my friend Luke. They were the fir- we were and my friend Josh. We were the first five, and then um, eventually, like, there were some shift changes, and my friend Michael joined the band, and then this other guy Ben. But that was like uh, kind of like when people were more getting into like heavy rock type of music and punk or whatever together, and that band was really fun and creative and bizarre yeah. and we like I would do things like we would play our first show was in an abandoned house and I just wheat pasted the whole house with like I've been reading tarot since I was 19 and it was like is that a thing you did to support yourself uh no I um 
what happened with that was I had two crazy experiences where I had readings that were so spot on I could absolutely not deny that it was yeah real and I w- didn't I'd always felt like into that type of thing mm-hmm. since I was a kid or whatever and I this woman read for me and then she started teaching my friend and I and we because she wanted readings too so what she would do is she was like Al she was a crazy witch like yeah, very sure. um powerful and bizarre and the way she taught my friend and I to read was very intuitively it was not like sit down and read this book and we're going to it was like we're pulling cards and I'm going to read you and you're going to watch me and you're going to feel how this feels Mm -hmm. and then you're going to pull cards and you're going to tell me you're going to tell me what you feel Yeah. yeah and we would do this every Friday and um we called it witches club <laughs> we were like my friend and I were um probably like I was 19 and my friend was probably like 17 or 18 mm-hmm. and then this other woman was older than us I think she must have been 24 or 25 her mom was a real scary witch she was a gnarly witch who could read playing cards she could she did spell she was a different type of intimidating power sure yeah yeah we can um, leave it at that <laughs> but Don't i fuck learned with power like that uh-uh and i never did just respect it nope yeah. never fucked with her ever and um so my friend taught us to read and then now i read and i trade i usually trade if i'm doing readings because mm-hmm. i don't i'll take money if that's what you have to trade or whatever that's what you want to do but um no we would do these readings and i just like went down the rabbit hole into like Chapel Perilous where things were just I got a hold of um, really uh, far out parts of my intuition and stuff they were just yeah to a point where it's like you're getting messages all the time and that was while I was doing this was while I was I was heavily into tarot and magic and like very like intuitive magic like I feel like there's this some magic where it's like here's astrology and certain things that are like numbers and angles and geometry and a yeah, thing. Yeah, it's math and science. It's math and science. Fuck that shit. It's cool. It's fine. It's great. It's not for me. I can't. Right. Yeah. Like it's valid and it works. If it works for you. Sure. My brain doesn't work that like that. So like I can see pictures and feelings and vibes and force and energy. So I was like working with all this stuff while starting my first band and it made it into this strange event like all of our shows were felt like they were rituals sure and um so like i would do things like you know blow up giant tarot cards they were very specific to what i wanted for the night and we paste them all over the walls we paste whatever you know moon cycle i needed on the floor like i would just change the space Uh uh-huh and I would build it so that it would manifest my intention and I would do it in this like wild (laughs) way yeah that that sounds incredible was like no one taught me to do it I would just what I felt I was like I was like I need this 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 and this and it has to be like this and I would make the space like that and Mm -hmm. then we'd play and there would be like these reactions that were like undeniable and really powerful and cool and like not to sell the band short because it was a cool band but it was something that was also like pushing that in a way that made it like we were well received at that time and I feel like a lot of it had to do with creating this vibe that I think sometimes people didn't even notice what I was doing but I felt what I was doing I mean that's that's the goal as as like a performer is to like manipulate the audience in a way that they don't notice so it feels like they're having those conclusions on their own or whatever right right for sure and if you convince yourself you're having this experience also you can transmit that Mm -hmm. to other people yeah and then so then the band that band took a a dark turn also because like our guitar player who was my best friend at the time um, oh, that's that band. That's that band. 
Yeah, he, we don't have to talk about that if you don't want to. Yeah, he. We'll just leave it at like he had some problems that were related to mental illness, but also got tied up in concepts of magic, mm-hmm. and we were simultaneously fucking with shit. Yeah. But I was really conscious of like not playing with I respect the darkness and don't fuck with it. I don't like taunt it or demand anything from like that mm-hmm. type of energy. Um and I'm not so sure that he had the same vision. So things got crazy. <laughs> sure. And um yeah, that band had a huge impact on like me and how I felt about like creating things and mm-hmm. personal power and what you could do and couldn't do and what you could handle and couldn't handle. Yeah, okay. Like so part of it was about boundary pushing for yourself. Yes. And then I feel like and I shouldn't maybe like take I don't take responsibility or like I don't want to sound condescending, but I I think he looked up to me in a certain way. And then wanted to do things that I was doing and I didn't have the like foresight to be like, be careful. And even if I did, it was too late and there was nothing you could do. Sometimes I feel like I set an example that maybe was a little bit dangerous or something. Yeah. And that makes me feel like, um, like somebody was impressionable and saw me doing these things and they were drawn to it. And maybe that's all me just trying to find ways to suss out this big collapse of, that that happened later. Right. Yeah, I mean, it seems like that person, from what I understand, like had a psychotic break at some point yes. and then like a bunch of really scary shit happened. Yes. And I think that that is not something that anything you ha- did, unless it's like, uh, like Gibby Haynes... Uh, Daniel Johnston kind of situation or a Merle and Gigi Allen thing yeah. which like it doesn't seem like you were feeding him acid when he was 12 fuck no <laughs> um, I don't think that there's any way that that you are responsible for that yeah it's and, like definitely something that I've carried yeah. with me and thought through and like I've actually gotten way quieter about even talking about that I know about anything esoteric or that like the more there's like this rise of people that are interested in playing with um, those type of forces or concepts or like this thing, the more I kind of quietly recede into what I know and what I do about it because I definitely feel like I went very far into that realm and I know how real it gets and how real it is. and. Sometimes I'll see people pulling cards for themselves online, like and posting their reading, and it makes me like stress out because I can see I read it. I yeah. see it. It doesn't look it's not just um, cards to me. It's like a energy jumping off the screen at me and I feel and see what they're doing. and I'm just like, don't show me this. Don't yeah, show no, me I don't this. Wanna, um, I don't want to see that about you unless you're asking me to right or something. It, or, yeah. you know. So I kind of am like, I'm fuck. I respect it in a way that I think has gotten to, uh, and not that, not, I think it's a really cool, useful thing. And I think everyone who wants the knowledge should have it. I'm not like an elitist about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It doesn't sound like you are. It sounds I just like... think it's, <laughs> Yeah. It's, you know, I have a close friend who's like a, like a professionally is a witch. Mm. Um, and she's, um, she was also on the show, Maya Spalter, and she wrote a book, which is what I'm looking around for, oh, wow. so I'll lend it to you. Um, but she, um, she's always like, yeah, I go into these people's houses, and it's like, they have these altars. And I'm like, okay, so you called a thing into your house. Right. What are you feeding it? Like, right. are you ever going to send it away? Right. Like, you're just doing half of this stuff. Right. Um, and I think, yeah, I think there is a way that, um, dabbling in like, as opposed to, 
commitment and learning yes is um with stuff like that can be really dangerous yes it's I agree it's very it's it's very dangerous one of the most intense fucked up things so the the person that taught me to read mm-hmm. she, there was like definitely some like darkness going down around her situation in her life and whatever sure and she got into creating these really beautiful amazing um wood burnings of cards so she would take like a i don't know what that is if it's like a just like a hot like yeah it looks like a soldering iron. looks like a soldering yeah, iron yeah. it might even be a soldering iron yeah i don't know could be it looks like that yeah and so she'd do these wood burnings and she did one for me and i'm a capricorn or whatever and maybe she had her reasons for doing this but she made me um a beautiful frightening wood burning of this drawer like so she took a drawer mm-hmm. and on the inside she burned her version of the devil card and put this like it was a crazy awesome piece of art i mean i still have it against better judgment but and then she put like the saw blade on the bottom that looked like flames and it was chopped up and it was rusty and this thing was powerful looked crazy and the devil's on there and it has the man and the woman in chains at the bottom mm-hmm. And at the time, I was like, oh, my God, thank you so much. Like, this is beautiful. I really respect this. This is cool. Um, I hung it up above my water source in the kitchen. (laughs) And didn't think about it. I was like, this is really cool. Well, I put the devil into the emotions that were running through my household. And there was like a six months of like ensuing chaos that... You know, believe me or not, I know what was happening here was like the devil was bringing this into the house. Yeah. Like, not the Christian devil, but the the concepts right. of bondage of, you know, being tied to earthly things, like just needing like this. Yeah, the it, devil card is also about codependence. Codependence. Right? It's about like codependent yes. relationship dynamics and like. The relationship that I, that I was in with Jimmy, then at the time it reached a maddening level of like, almost like psych, psychosis, like mad laughter and like things that were just, it was horrifying. It was horrifying. We took the devil down. Actually, Jimmy was the one who was like, we got to get rid of this fucking thing. It looks just like you and me. And then we looked at it and we were like, oh my God, it looks just <laughs> like us Fuck. on this thing. Yeah. And he's like, we got to take it down. And we did. And like that, now we project it out of the house because we both agreed that if we could let it look out the window, it would take that energy that's in oh, the house and, and project it out. It out. <laughs> oh, that's, I like that. So it's going, it's actually flying down Polona Street. If you yeah, like, nice. that energy shoots down too. I feel like I um, have felt that energy flying down Polona yes, Street. Yes, that's it. It like, um, but yeah, so it's like the very powerful. And I don't like, there's been too many times that I've like, yeah. I take that shit really seriously. It can, you know, physically, emotionally, mentally. Yeah. It'll get you. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> like you can't, you have to be thoughtful when you're playing with that. Yeah, 100%. And your intentions. <laughs> um, I want to talk about Peace Talks before oh, cool. um, we stop totally because I really like your band. Oh, awesome. Um, how long have you guys been playing? Um, I think... It's about to be four years. Uh huh. What's the full name? Uh, Peace Talks, the Electric Word Life Band. Right. It's from, uh, from Let's Prince. Go Crazy. From yeah. The Prince song, Let's Go Crazy. Yeah. That's a John Viegas. I figured it was a John Viegas. Yeah. <laughs> um, the what did uh, what is your guys like? Sort of like band eth- You know, like how did you? I mean, I can imagine how you started playing. You all just live in Pittsburgh. We were at a going away party for our friend Ty, who moved to New Orleans. Mm-hmm. And originally it was me, Chris Kibler, John Vegas, and Dan Nowhere. Oh, right. And we were in the woods at, this, at the tennis courts at a going away party. And we were like, yo, what the fuck are we messing around? Let's be in a band. Let's do a band, yeah. And John had been in a band with me previously called Leapstad. So mm-hmm. we'd already played together. And John and Chris were in Drug Lust. And... Dan had been in a bunch of other bands too, not my dog, and I think he was in Napalm Donut. He'll kill me if that's wrong. But no, whatever. Dan was definitely in Napalm. He was. Donut. Okay, yeah. <laughs> and um, so we we started that way, 
It was really cool. We were mm-hmm. all like good friends at like a going away party that later got busted by the cops, but I was long gone. <laughs> Mazel tov. Yes. Um, and you guys have been playing for four years and it's like, so you, I'm always interested when people, when a band has someone that just sings. Yeah. What the songwriting process is like. Like, do do you have lyrics that you fit to music? Do they just bring music? Do you like, I was in a band once where the singer would come in with like a little dictaphone, like mm-hmm. a one of those Walkmans with the record button mm-hmm. and would play us a tape that was like, where he was going like, wow. and then he was going, it wasn't Longview by Green Day right. um, the, on his tape, right. but that was but the, that's the... <laughs> the first song that I thought yeah. of for whatever reason. And he would actually like sing out all the instrument parts, but he couldn't play an instrument. And then we would all have to try to figure out what he was singing. Whoa, that's so... I've always wanted to do that. So I have like an idea for a Kill by Death band that's going to... That I want to be like my band, but I can't write music like that. Yeah. And... I'm going to have to do that. And I'm yeah, gonna for to, sure. <laughs> I'm going to have to. So at least somebody else has already done that. And I'm not the only crazy person. There. Yeah, Joe Porter in our old band Nasty Intentions would bring like, would bring a fucking dictaphone to practice. And be like, <laughs> That's I think, cool. I think like this bass line would be cool. And then he'd like take the mic and be like. Yeah, that's the only way to do it, right? Yeah. Because I've envisioned this for myself. It ruled. Because I, I have like this other weird path of music that I want to take someday where I like yeah where I would you know write the music parts too and like I have like I so what happens what we usually do is um uh John or Chris or whatever Dave like they'll piece together songs or John will be like I have this riff let's jam it just Mm -hmm. like typical like I think natural ways like that like let's and everyone will sort of play together and be like, let's do it like this. And then I'll say like, no, 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 don't play it fucking eight times, play it six. Or like, you know, slow down this part. So we'll all have like sort of creative process about the structure of the song. Yeah. Um, and like for me, I've tried a million times to write lyrics ahead of time. I have books of lyrics that I've written ahead of time. They never, ever, ever, ever work. Can't do it. I can't write a song and fit it to the song. Right. Because... I'll hear what they're playing and words come out of it at me. Yeah. Like, have you ever heard those, like, like the Velvet Underground outtakes where you realize they had, like, four different arrangements, musical arrangements to, to one that. set of Lou Reed lyrics? Like, there are there are versions of, um, uh, I can't think of any songs off the top of my head, but, like, there are multiple versions of some Velvet Underground songs where the music is entirely different. Where it's like, they were like, let's try out having it sound like a like a doo-wop song and let's try out having it sound like this and let's try out having it sound like that and like I, I don't get that yeah I've every time I've sang in a band I've always written the music this, the lyrics to the music as I heard yep. it same that's, that's how I do it too because like yeah. I'll hear it and I'll come with words like I did my homework or something mm-hmm. and then I'll sit there and I'm like that's not what the song is about the right. song will tell me what it's about yeah I'll hear certain words I'll hear the vocal pattern over it and I can never make it fit. And I just have to rewrite. And I usually write. Um, so I'll record it. In the olden days, I would have to put it on tape. <laughs> yeah. And play it over and over again, like on a cassette tape. And now we can just put it on the, like I'll record it on the phone. Yeah. And take it home. And I usually just get caffeinated as fuck. And go sit alone and like write and scratch out. And write and scratch out. And then play it back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And like this really like scatter. It's almost like how... When people talk about how they, the idea of sculpture where you like see that you take this like big rock or whatever and you crack away the bits that don't belong and you find the thing inside of it. Like you find whatever sculpture, whatever statue the rock was meant to be is inside of it. So you have to just take away the pieces. It's kind of weirdly how I write. So I'll do like automatic writing and I'll write like pages and pages and pages and pages and then I'll cross out and scratch out and add Oh, it's so interesting. Until it's down to this thing that's, like, not what I thought it was going to be. Yeah. And, like, it's really, like, it starts out incredibly chaotic. And then I get, like, really, like, tuned it in. And, like, to where I'm, like, that the syllables need a half of, you know, like, I have to be in this certain way. But I'll, like, write a ton and then chisel it. 
down. Oh, that's so fascinating. And like, I, um, yeah, and there are certain words that have to be in it. So I'll hear a word come out of mm -hmm. whatever they're playing. And no matter what, I've tried to write around it where I'm like, ah, but I wanted to write a song about this. It doesn't fucking matter. It's like reading cards for me where like, yeah. if someone says, I want to know about my job. And I'm like, the fucking cards are not talking about your job. So I'm not going to tell you about that. We're going to talk about what they're telling me about. The yeah. song is the same way. So I can have an idea of what I want to sing about that day. Uh -huh. And it doesn't fucking matter. It won't let me. I have to write about what the song is. It's like its own. It's like channeling. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? It it's... seems like both of those things are like channeling something else. Mm -hmm. Or like just channeling a part of yourself that's not conscious. Yes. Once or twice in my life, I've sat down and written a song straight immediately. Word for word for word for word for word perfectly yeah. down. Like instantly. And those are like real crazy channelings that's where i'm like this is not coming from me yeah that i don't feels... think any of my songs come from me i think they come from me accessing something else like the akashic records or something yeah, yeah. for sure like i'm yeah. like there's like to get all repo man on it it's like there's this cosmic unconscious right that you pull from that's trying to say something and i'm just like a Conduit. Conduit for that. Yeah. And like, that sounds pretentious as fuck, but that's just how it feels. Like, I don't feel like I wrote my lyrics. I don't think right. it came from my logical brain. It comes from somewhere else and it just needs like a vessel to get out there. Yeah. I don't know if it sounds... I think if you were like, um, there is one God and that God is talking through me, that sounds pretentious. Right. Okay. But I think, <laughs> I think saying like, there's just some vague thing that we all share that I am like, like channeling... Just me, it sounds like you just don't want to take credit for doing a thing that's cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, I think it's the opposite of pretentious. Right. Yeah. And and it's how it feels, though. Like, I'll sure. be like, this feels like, I don't know where the hell this came from. And, like, I mean, it came from me in some regard, but it feels right. like, you yeah. know. Huh. That's interesting. That's really interesting. Yeah. And, like, I can't force a song. So I think I frustrate the fuck out of my bands because sometimes the songs will take forever and they'll be like, we're recording tomorrow you have to have real lyrics yeah, yeah. but i don't right and then the last minute i'll get it because it has to be right and if i'm faking it or just saying words yeah, to fit the spot be. i can't do it feels like throw it away the and you guys have do you have just that tape out or do you have other stuff out we have two tapes the first tape like um is a real demo where you're like this wasn't good <laughs> yeah <laughs> we shouldn't we needed to write do this better yeah um and i don't even know if there are any copies of that i mean somebody has copies of that um but we have a tour tape and then we just recorded we're going on a west coast tour when's that um it is in april i think it starts on the 20th or 21st in la and then we're going nice. up i think we're going all the way up to like seattle and olympia and then we're coming back through the midwest because i'm i'm driving subhumans on tour first so and you'll, so you'll be out there, and then the rest of the band and is then they're, fly yeah. out. And yeah. then they fly home. Like, they leave from San Antonio, and then John's going to fly down to meet me in San Antonio. And we're going to drive to L.A. and meet the rest of the band there. Uh-huh. And then do the West Coast. Hell yeah. So we'll have a recording for then. Hopefully we'll have a 7-inch. That's, like, Tight. the goal. <laughs> we recorded. Yeah. So um, art and making it happen needs to happen, but... Yeah, I hope all 13 people that listen to this podcast live in L.A. <laughs> live in L.A. and go to the show. Or um, order your 7-inch. Yeah. Uh, no, I've had like, yeah. Um, that sounds great. That's really cool. Cool. Let's, thank you. Um, do you want to call it a night? Yeah, thank you for great. having me. Yeah, thank you for um, being had.
down on my knees. Now, wouldn't you, Barracuda? And that's it. Uh, that's me singing Barracuda. Clearly, I am no Ann Wilson, but, um, you know, we've all got our foibles, right? Um, and that's the end of the episode. Thank you very much to Christina um, for talking about some of that stuff. Uh, super vulnerable. Um, and I'm, you know, but I think valuable to hear um, not just her experience, but also her, like, you know, the emotional processing that she's done about a lot of the things that she's been through. Um, and, uh, yeah, just generally appreciative. Christina is such a good person and has been such a good friend in Pittsburgh. And I'm really happy that, um, anyone else gets to hear how cool she is that maybe didn't know her already. Um, and check out Peace Talks when they are, um, they are on tour in April or whenever the only other punk podcast, cruel noise radio, uh, d- done by John Viegas. Uh, what, what I was trying to say is the guitar player of peace talks does the only other punk podcast. That's what I I'm zoning, man. I'm in New York for this work thing and I'm tired and I'm not doing a good job. Say la vie. We'll all live. All right. Um, and so that's that I'm going to end the episode, I guess now. All right, uh, enjoy. Have a good night. Um, Fuck ice, free Palestine. No cops, no creeps. Peace in the pizzeria. I'm out.